Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. What is the most important event in the Christian belief system? No, it's not Noah, it's not Jonah, it's not the parting of the Red Sea, it's not the events of the Old Testament, although those are important. The most important event in the Christian belief system is the resurrection of Christ. That event is the most important event, not only to lives here on earth, but lives in eternity. We don't believe in Christianity because Noah, Jonah, and the parting of the Red Sea and the events of the Old Testament occurred, although they did occur. We believe in Christianity because Jesus rose from the dead. And if Jesus rose from the dead, whatever Jesus teaches is true because he's God and Jesus taught the events of the Old Testament are true. That's why I believe the events of the Old Testament are true, because Jesus did. But the most important fact is that Jesus rose from the dead, and he gives us the ability to be reunited with God because he paid, for the, pri- he paid the price for our sins. And there is a new national bestseller out that tells this story of the scriptures, of the resurrection, extremely well, even if you know virtually nothing nothing about the Bible. It's written by my friend David Limbaugh. This is the fourth book that he's written on Christianity in the past, say, three or four years. He started with Jesus on Trial, which is a a book basically of apologetics. Then he went on to the Emmaus Code, Jesus in the Old Testament. Then he covered a book called The True Jesus, which is the Jesus in the Gospels. And now the brand new book, Jesus is Risen, Paul and the Early Church, For those of you that don't know, well, if you don't know David Limbaugh, he was catapulted to national prominence when he wrote the foreword for I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. That's that's obviously the case. (laughs) Anyway, David is an attorney. He's a syndicated columnist. He's a political commentator. He's written eight national bestsellers, including some of the ones I just mentioned. He, of course, is the brother of Rush Limbaugh, the nationally known uh, talk radio host. Uh, David lives in Cape Girardeau with his wife and 37 kids that he has there. Now, he's got a great family. In fact, his oldest daughter just got married. David, it's always great having you on the program. How are you? Frank, thanks for having me on. And you're, you're in the doghouse for not coming to the wedding, but that's okay. You've got yeah. your own family. <laughs> we tried. We just couldn't quite make it. We weren't really feeling all that well. Uh, but, yeah. yeah, Kristen just got married, and she's, she's working in New York now, isn't she? Yeah, she's working for Sean, so it's really good. Sean Hannity and Sean actually wrote a uh, an endorsement of this book. I was privileged to do so as well. Here's what Sean says. I know David Limbaugh to be a man of deep faith and uh, never has that faith been better put to use than in this insightful examination of the early Christian church. No other history is more demanding of our attention. And for this lay reader, no one has done a better job of explaining it. And on a personal note, David has been instrumental in inspiring my own faith journey for which I am forever grateful. That's from Sean Hannity. You've also got uh, endorsements here from Dana Leish, from David and Jason Benham, from myself, from Rush Limbaugh, 
who says, my brother has done it again. He's taught me more about Christianity than I thought I could learn, and this book will do the same for you. You will find no better, more convincing interpretation of these books of the Bible than right here in Jesus is Risen. This is an exciting and understandable analysis. You will savor and appreciate. Don't doubt me, Rush Limbaugh. How did you get him to write that, man? That, that's a stunning. Well, it's true. This book is, 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 is a wonderful book called Jesus is Risen. Why did you decide to write this? Well, as you uh, mentioned in your uh, intro, I, this is my fourth Christian-themed book. It's my ninth book overall. I uh, started to write a book on Christianity early on uh, before I'd begun, begun to write anything at all in, in terms of my columns or other books. I became a believer in my mid-30s, uh, probably, and I, I was so on fire for the Bible and for Christ and for spreading the word of what I knew uh, because I, I just, it was like a, an epiphany for me. can't believe I'm around it all my life, and I w- was raised in a Christian family. and wasn't really uh, a cynical skeptic, just a person who didn't embrace the God of the Bible. I did believe in God. It's impossible not to believe, as you saw. You know, I think it takes way much more, way more faith uh, not to believe than to believe in, in your great book. And I, I can't... Uh, I, I, but I couldn't embrace it because of certain things that, that troubled me. But the real irony of it is that I never really studied it. So I rejected something that I hadn't even investigated. So once I started investigating it, reading the Bible, theology, apologetics, I was really excited to find that, wow, it isn't based on blind faith. Christianity is supported by overwhelming evidence, and we don't have to suspend our critical faculties. We shift the, this evidence through our uh, reasoning powers with our reasoning powers, and while faith is not uh, reason, is not is a different matter. It is based on reason, and it is not incompatible with reason. It's probably obviously involves an act of the will, and you have to take that step of putting your trust in Christ. But it's completely supportable by our faith and by our reason. And so I was excited about this, and I wanted to spread the word, realizing there's so many people who were in the position that I was in who just either neglected it or were intimidated by the Bible, I wanted to share it because I feel like I could relate to people who were situated where I was. So I started uh, writing books that I wish that I had had access to when I began my spiritual study, my books, biblical study. So that's what these books are. This book, uh, well, as you said, the first book was My Faith Journey and Apologetics. Second book was uh, How Christ is Foreshadowed and Pointed to in the Old Testament. Third book was the Gospels, where I told the chronological account of all four Gospels. Every verse is covered either verbatim or, or rephrased, always trying to say truth to the true to the biblical text with an ongoing commentary. This book, after that, I wanted to continue with the New Testament and finish it all the way at least until Revelation. I don't think I'm going to try that one because I think I'll probably create single-handedly create more doubters than I ever. Imagine if I tackle Revelation. Maybe you and I could do that together, and I'll just co-sign that you can do it. Just kidding. Now that so so, but I um, this book I wanted to cover as much of the remaining books of the New Testament as space would allow, and as it turns out, space would allow only the Act, uh, the Book of Acts, History of the Early Church, and six of Paul's epistles. But this worked out very nicely because uh, these six epistles that I wrote are believed to have been written first. So I wanted to give a chronological sense. That's the, the theme I'm, or the, the kind of the method I'm using. 
the chronological uh, description of the uh, Gospels, now a chronological development of the early church. So these six epistles weren't the first in, in the canonical order, in the order they appear in the Bible, but they were believed to be the first ones that Paul wrote. Galatians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and Romans. And they give us a smattering of the letters that Paul wrote. We've got something in each one uh, that, that is different and that covers so much of Paul's approach to giving instructions to the church and then um, get, expounding on Christian doctrine. And I, I find it, I, I'm probably going to get ahead of myself, but I find it so fascinating that we see Paul, you know, as he writes these, these letters to the churches, they're written to local churches that he had planted. And he, I think he regarded them almost as if they were babies that he'd given birth to, that he had right. uh, someone had given birth to, and that he wanted to nurture them. And then when they got off the path and they strayed away from the true gospel, he cajoled them, he exhorted them back to the true gospel. Don't follow forth false teachers. And you see his personality, his humanity, his, his authenticity, how he's grieved when these churches fall away, and how he instructs them to come back. So I just love this these books, and I think they give us a sense of history. And Christianity, Frank, as you say, and you've always said, and you've been one of my main mentors, is it's based in history. It is based in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christianity wasn't just some philosophy that men developed from the ground up based on their idea of God. They, they saw, they witnessed the bodily resurrection of Christ. And so the early church, same way. We have it at ground in real history. I want to give readers a sense of that history as we walk them through the book of Acts and these other scriptures. Well, you do, and very well. The book is Jesus is Risen by my friend David Limbaugh. He's my guest today. We're going to get into it right after the break, so don't go away. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Thank you for listening to the Cross-Examine podcast. This material is made available to you for free by the contributions of listeners like you. If you wish to support future podcasts, just go to crossexamine.org and click on the donate button or simply use the donate feature directly on our app. Thanks. Jesus is risen. Paul and the early church, a brand new book written for everybody. Whether you're a new Christian or a seeker or even a Christian who's been around a while, a mature Christian, this book will help you. It's written by my friend David Limbaugh, who also happens to be the man who wrote the foreword for I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And David has also been a longtime board member at crossexamine.org. So if you like what we're doing at crossexamine.org, you can partially thank David for it. Before we get back to David, I want to point out just a couple events, a few events coming up here in October that you can be a part of if you want. Monday, October 22nd, I'll be at the University of Maryland, the Baltimore County uh, campus, and uh, that's happened Monday night. Tuesday night, the next night, I'll be at Towson University in Towson, Maryland, and uh, that uh, these events you can access on our website, crossexamine.org. And then later on that uh, weekend, I'll be at the Spyglass Conference, an apologetics conference out in Colorado Springs, Colorado. That's Friday and Saturday, October 26th and 27th. I'll be there along with uh, Sean, I mean, uh, Josh McDowell and my friend Bob Cornuke, uh, Jason Elam, former kicker of the Broncos. There'll be several other speakers there. You want to check that out, the Spyglass Conference, October 26th and 27th. Go to our website, crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it.org. And then in Charlotte, the next day, October 28th, I'll be with my friend Eli Shukran here in Charlotte. He is the archaeologist from uh, 
uh, from Israel who leads our tours when we go over there. He discovered the city of David, uh, excavated the city of David, the Pool of Siloam. He's going to be at Life Fellowship Church with me here in Charlotte going through some of his archaeological discoveries. You don't want to miss that if you're in the Charlotte area. Uh, all right, back to my friend David Limbaugh. His new book, Jesus is Risen, Paul and the Early Church. Now, David, right in the intro to this book, you lay out the purpose that you're writing this book. What is the purpose for you to write the book, Jesus is Risen? I don't know what my ghostwriter might have said in that section, but let me tell you my purpose. Let me tell you my purpose in hiring that ghostwriter. His name is Frank. No, no, but ghost, Frank was my ghost editor at the end. He, Frank always goes through and reads my Christian book to make sure I don't make a total fool of myself. And he has no, but you, David, you have written every single word of this book. I know. I know how meticulous you are because <laughs> you will change happy to glad and then glad back to happy because you want to make sure <laughs> you want to make sure yeah, this is accurate. This is this is truly your work. There's nobody else writing this book but you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And um, what my real purpose, maybe I already stated it, but my real purpose is to get people into the Bible. Right. And so I think the best way to do that is to whet their appetite, showing them uh, the, the actual the text as much as I can, paraphrasing it or doing it verbatim, showing them what the Bible actually says. It's not scary. The book of Acts is a fascinating story, a captivating story about the early church and how the, these uh renegade 12 apostles who were transformed from skeptics and cowards to, to bold proclaimers of the gospel after they witnessed the resurrected Christ and how Paul, who was the greatest persecutor of all of all Christians and was on the way to persecuting, to rounding Christians up in, in uh, Damascus when Christ encountered him so he could take him back and punish him, and how he was converted. His very conversion is one of the greatest apologetics for Christianity. He's the most unlikely guy to have ever uh, become a a bold evangelist. I just love the stories of these people, and and you and you get a sense that it really happened in real life. These are real people. Human nature has never changed. The Christian worldview says that we are sinners. Uh, that human nature is constant. That we can't save ourselves. That we can only save ourselves through faith in the in Jesus Christ and the sacrificial work that He's done. Nothing we can do to merit that. And that all becomes evident as you read this book. And, and I'm going to read the books of the Bible. And so I want to inspire people to read the book. Of course, I want them to buy my book so that my kids can go to college. But I, <laughs> but I actually want to push them, you know, give them more than a nut. Give them a, uh, inspire them to really read it and embrace it and begin to study it. Because the more you study it, and I think you really agree with me here, I know you do, it's the living word of God. And the more you read it, the closer you get to God, the more you understand his nature. Mm. And, and so I, I just I just love the Bible, and I, I want to share that passion with people. You know, one thing, I really struggled trying to come up with a description of this book, because it really is a unique book, Jesus is Risen. And um, as I said, it, it, it's for the seeker, the, the young Christian, or even the mature Christian. Anybody can benefit by reading this. And here's what I came up with. I don't know if this is... Uh, a good way of describing it. It's the best I could come up with, but this book, Jesus is risen really is acts through Romans faithfully retold and amplified with an easy to understand commentary, but it's not a commentary like you, a typical commentary you read, well, this Greek word here means X. No, no, no. It's not like that. 
It's more just a faithful retelling with insights that you put in to help the reader understand what's going on in the text. So if you're afraid of the Bible or you love the Bible, anywhere in between, you can benefit from reading this book, Jesus is Risen. And, and I, I don't know if anybody else has described it to you, David. I know you've done several radio interviews so far, and you're doing many of them right now because the book just came out just a week or so ago. It's doing very well, by the way, on Amazon. Um, how, how would you describe it? I mean, if you had to say, this is what this book is about, and this is how I put it together, how would you describe it? And I don't, don't think this is a cop-out, but you have described it better than I have yet described and, and other people described. That's exactly right. I integrate the commentary along with the retelling of the text. And uh-huh. it's supposed to be seamless. It's supposed to help people understand. I've, I've, it's kind of a primer to these books of the Bible, but also it involves a deep dive for those who want to go deeper. And But it's not deep in the, in the uh, convoluted intellectual intellectually difficult way. I think it's accessible. Right. People, But I really do think um, it, it is, I mean, I, I, I resort to, I refer to some of the greatest Christian thinkers throughout history. I've access to so many commentaries in Logos Bible software, and I try to share those insights and my own insights and weave it in all together. So it's, it's like a, it's like an ongoing series of Sunday school lessons. And, and, mm-hmm. and I just, I like to teach to the extent that I know and there's a lot of people who, as, as little as I know, there are people who know less. And I like to relate to those people and help them uh, accelerate their learning curve. Well, here's what you do. You, you lay the book out. You have several chapters that start with the book of Acts, uh, because Acts really is the story of the activities of the early church, you know, basically from 30 A.D. to about 62 A.D. How did the church begin and how did it spread across the ancient world? And then you have several chapters that cover, as you said, the first six books that Paul wrote, Galatians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st Corinthians, 2nd Corinthians, and Romans. And what I'd like to do with the remainder of the interview here is just to ask you some insights that you've learned by writing about these particular topics or about these particular books in the Bible. So let me, let me just start. I'm reading here on page 14, which is... Uh, uh, you're in, you're introducing the book the, the reader to the book of Acts and you you have a section here called facts you can count on um, regarding how meticulous Luke was and how historians have agreed that Luke is telling the truth. What are some of these facts we can count on when we're reading a book like the book of Acts? Well, as you so well describe in your in your book, especially I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Uh, Acts was, is a historically reliable book, and these various scholars and archaeologists who have set out to disprove the historical accuracy and authenticity of the book have come back shorthanded, and some of them have been converted to belief on the basis of that. And so they report specific names, the offices and titles that these public officials held, and the chronology. They, 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 when Luke told that certain people were, were uh, in, in charge and certain events occurred, uh, secular historians can go back and confirm that his telling was accurate and that these events are historically accurate. I find that amazing because I guarantee you that the, the secular culture will tell us that this is just a book of stories, as you said earlier. And uh, I, like, like I, in, the, in the book on page 15, I say, that J.B. Whitefoot, who was a great pastor in, in the day, 
shows that Acts is unique among New Testament books in its quantity of historically verifiable events. He concludes, no ancient work affords so many tests of veracity, or no other has such numerous points of contact in all directions with contemporary history, politics, and topography, whether Jewish, Greek, or Roman. So even when Luke is describing the geography, uh, it has been verified to be accurate. And you Mm -hmm. talk about, uh, I refer to you and, and Dr. Geisler, and page 84 of your book, uh, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, where you describe or you cite 84 details from Acts 13 through 28 that could have only been derived from an eyewitness. I just find that fact. Why don't you share a few of those? Because you're probably at the top of your head. Well, I've just, I mean, you, you, you mentioned them in, in uh, your book, uh, Jesus is Risen, but several of these details have been confirmed. And you mentioned geography. Of course, Luke didn't have access to Google Earth or maps. He gets all these right. names right. He gets all these places right. He even gets weather patterns right in particular part of the Mediterranean. He even gets the water depth off Malta right. I mean, <laughs> these things you wouldn't yeah. know unless you were there. And uh, in addition, as you mentioned, David, he gets obscure rulers' names right. Like it would be the equivalent of a mayor in a particular small town. He gets the guy's name and title right. How does he know this? He has to have yeah. been there. And uh, he does all these, he records all these minor details. At the same time, he's saying that Paul is doing miracles in certain places. Now, why would he be so accurate with these details and lie about the big issues like miracles? It doesn't seem to make sense to me. Do you know, be treated. You know, if he, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I, I want to – I didn't. I thought you were winding up. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt that. Um, but I, I want to say something that's always, uh, always blown me away that when, when he dedicated his book to – Theophilus, his, his gospel, he said, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile and compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. So he recognized other people have been writing about this. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them thus. So those other people had transmitted them to him and explained them. It, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past. Now here's the key. To write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. In other words, he's that those first four verses in, in his Gospel of Luke, and he wrote Acts, it was a continuation of the Gospel. Uh, he's telling him that he took, he, he took uh, extreme effort to, to have uh, painstaking detail and express this, right. because he knows that Christianity is grounded in history, as we mentioned, and is very important. For him to state these things accurately because it's very important that people believe. And what we're going to do is look at more of these facts right after the break with my friend David Limbaugh. His new national best-selling book, Jesus is Risen, is good for people of any level. Seeker, young Christian, mature Christian, you're going to enjoy the book Jesus is Risen by David Limbaugh. And when we come back, we're going to dive in more to the book of Acts and we'll get on to Galatians and some of his other books. Don't go away. I'm Frank Turek. We're back in two minutes. College campuses are hostile to the Christian faith, and three out of four young people walk away from the church once they go to college. That's why we go to college campuses and present I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist in the United States and even all over the world. When we do this, we don't charge students a dime. That's why we need your financial support. In fact, over the past couple of years, we've been able to grow dramatically because of your generous support. And 100% of your donations go to ministry. Zero 
25% go to building. So when you give to Cross-Examine, you'll be giving to help us go reach young people where they are. Would you consider giving today? Thank you so much, and thank you so much for what you've done already. In David Limbaugh's new book, Jesus is Risen, Paul and Early Church, he has an opening chapter on Damascus. Uh, what happened on the road to Damascus? And uh, it, the title is How a Trip to Damascus Changed the World. Why did it change the world? Because the one event that changed the world, and actually not just the world, but eternity, more than any other is the resurrection of Christ. And that's what this book is about that Jesus is actually risen. Before the break, we were talking about the book of Acts and also prior to that, uh, the Gospel of Luke, how Luke is so accurate uh, in the minor details that can be checked out. If he can be trusted on the minor details, he ought to be trusted on the major details as well. Uh, Luke seems to get it all right. And Before the break, we were talking to David uh, on how accurate uh, Luke was. And, and, and in the book of Acts, David, you point out that there is a there's kind of a three-section outline in the book of Acts. Uh, what are those sections? What are those? What's, 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 what's the three-section outline that you identify in the book of Acts? Well, there are many different outlines, and I finally came upon this notion that, wait, we don't need to get all in the weeds on this thing. And I, I right. mentioned a few of the outlines, but the real thing is the geography. So that's what it's about. Jesus instructed them uh, in, in Acts 1 uh, Eight, I think it's one, one through eight, to to spread the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so we have the outline is one, the witness to Jerusalem uh, from chapter one nine to eight three, the witness to Judea and Samaria, uh, eight four to twelve twenty five, and then the witness to the ends of the earth from chapter thirteen on to the end. And I think that's an easy way to get your mind to wrap your mind around what was going on. They were just following Christ's commission obediently. And I love it. I love that because it unfolds just that way. And I, I think you nailed it when you point out that Jesus tells them what they're going to do. They're going to start in Jerusalem, then they're going to go to Samaria, Judea and Samaria, and then they're going to go to the ends of the earth. And that's the way the book of Acts is structured when you look at it. And I yeah. love the 10,000-foot look, because from, or from 10,000 feet, then it helps make sense of the details. And you have, I think, four chapters here on the book of Acts. And uh, what I want to ask you uh, with regard to the book of Acts, what, what's the major couple of insights you took by writing about the book of Acts? Wait, I mean, were there, was there something you really learned or, or that really kind of sunk in when you had to do the research to write this that you said, wow, I want people to know about that, this insight that I learned by researching and writing this? Well. What I tell people, as I've read these books so many times, I don't know that I had an epiphany in that sense. Mm -hmm. Although every time I read the Bible, I get a new insight uh, that might be, you might describe as a mini epiphany, because God's Word, it's it's constantly giving us new insights and meeting us where we are. But what I think I really uh, learned from this, Paul Johnson, the famous historian, written a bunch of books, prolific said the best way to learn a subject is to write a book about it. Right. And I, in, in writing a book about this, I had to study the book of Acts intensely along with these six books, but not just study them intensely. I had to do it in a short uh, period of time where all of it came together. So I was reading Acts fast and, and slow and deep, 
and then the, these six epistles, all in a short period of time. So my memory was pretty acute as to what I just read. So I saw how all of this fit together and how the Paul's epistles corroborated Acts and Acts corroborated uh, different accounts in Paul's epistles, which is very affirming uh, of, of the biblical of biblical authenticity. But I also find that what you get is when you get Luke's account of Paul and then Paul's own accounts of his dealing with the churches, you see that the Paul, Peter, and the other apostles struggled against fierce opposition to plant these churches throughout the Roman Empire. And after they planted them, this because human nature is constant, people are what they are. They're always going to be what they are. Secular liberals will tell you we're on a linear path to enlightenment. The Christian worldview says we're fallen. Human nature doesn't change. We can be changed individually through uh, the, the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells us uh, upon our conversion. But basically, we're, we're subject, subject to sin and the temptations of the flesh and external temptations. And I love that uh, Paul is writing these letters to churches, as, as I described before, as, as kids that he had, that he birthed, who had fallen away, and he pleads with them. And you can almost see the sweat, how he's grieving. At their, they're falling away. Look, I taught you the true gospel. I'm not bragging on myself, although, and he goes back and forth. He's so personal and, and wears his heart on his sleeve that he's telling them, look, I, I, uh, I, I gave you birth in Christianity. Don't, I gave you the true word of God, which was given to me by Christ himself. Don't succumb to these false teachers who are giving you a false gospel. Don't succumb to the pagan, secular pagan influences of Corinth, which was a hotbed of sexual immorality and idolatry following the love goddess Aphrodite. Come back to the fold. Don't listen to those people. I'm not telling you for ego purposes. I'm telling you for your own eternal destiny. And, and the, we need to keep the gospel pure above all else, because if it remains pure, then we can, it, it, that will facilitate its spread throughout uh, further into the Roman Empire and the rest of the world. So Paul was just that. And I love to see the real Paul in, the, in these books and the struggles that other people have. And as you talk about in your apologetic work, the, the Old Testament and New Testament writers tell their warts and all. If they were trying to impress people, and for self-aggrandizement, they wouldn't reveal embarrassing things about themselves. Peter, even after he denied Jesus and, and only came back as a fierce proclaimant uh, of, of the gospel, even in the book of Acts, Paul had to rebuke Peter because even after God had given him a vision showing him that there was no difference between Jew and Gentile, we're all on equal footing before God and before Christ. The gospel is available to all of us. We no longer have to follow the Jewish dietary laws and rituals. Luke still succumbed to peer pressure of his fellow Jewish converts and Peter excluded. Does. Yeah. I mean, Peter, Peter, yeah. and excluded people at the table and wouldn't eat with them. And Paul rebuked him and said, "Don't you dare do this!" After all we've been through, I think it's pretty cool uh, that so we see that Luke, that Peter, even after he'd gone through all that, he's a super apostle. He still he still falls short mm. in certain mm. ways. You don't become perfect because you're a convert to Christianity, but Paul sure was superior in terms of his command of the authority at that point. Well, not only that, but as you pointed out, it's so embarrassing to have Paul rebuke Peter, one of the super apostles of the church, as you put it, in the very book of Galatians, which is winds up in the Bible, to have them, yeah. to, to have them airing their dirty laundry in front of everybody. This, this is not an invented story, friends. I mean, to have Paul rebuking Peter for, 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 
basically being hypocritical about the Jewish Old Testament dietary laws uh, and going back to these uh, practices, uh, it's, it's, it's strange credulity to think that they would put this in if they're inventing this story. You also point out here something, David, that uh, as I'm reading through your chapters on the book of Acts, and friends, we're talking to David Limbaugh. The new book is uh, Jesus is Risen. We're just scratching the surface here. I mean, I'm still in like the, the third chapter here. I'm, I'm, a, I'm about a quarter of the way through the book, and we've just discussed a few things. We're not going to get through all the insights in this book, quite obviously, so you need to pick up the copy, uh, Jesus is Risen, Paul in the Early, Early Church by David Limbaugh. You're writing in here, I saw this insight here on page 81, uh, when Paul is before the Athenians in, uh, in Acts chapter 17. So these are unbelievers, and you say this, Paul is troubled by the rampant idolatry in Athens. And then you add this insight. It's as if there were an inverse relationship between its standing as an educational and cultural center and its spiritual health. And then you go on to say, this is arguably the case today. A disproportionate percentage of academics are self-professed agnostics or atheists. Why is that? Why do you think people who get more and more educated into, in, into kind of this secular education are, are more likely to be atheists and agnostics? Well, I think that people get puffed up on their own knowledge. One, one thing we need to do is we have... Uh, the Bible teaches us we need to have a uh, reverence for God, and we need to pray for wisdom. Solomon was given an opportunity to pray for whatever he wanted. He didn't ask to be uh, blessed with prosperity or or with fame or power. He he requested that he be uh, given wisdom, and God blessed him, made the wisest man in the world in history. And and you see, uh, I think we need to do that. Instead of standing on our own pride and our own knowledge, all of our uh, intellect, our knowledge, everything good about us derives from God, the creator of the universe. And some of these academics are puffing themselves up, and they're trying to be gods to themselves. And so they, everybody has a hole in their heart, a God hole in their heart. If they're not going to fill it with Jesus Christ, they're going to fill it with something else, whether it's uh, the uh, environmentalism or some other form of secular humanism or liberalism. And you, you see that as an outworking of their irrationality, how they will stick to their ideology even when facts disprove them, uh, because it's, it's a religion to them, and they are completely dependent on them for their quasi-spiritual fulfillment. And it's a, it's a scary thing. But I see this, too. I don't. By the way, I don't need to suggest that the more educated you are, the, the less reasonable Christianity will appear. The more right. educated you are in a secular sense, and, and you're puffed up, and you're indoctrinated. Our, our universities and our culture indoctrinate against Christianity. And so, and that's also what was occurring in, in Greece. Some of these people were totally brilliant, but they didn't have revelation, and so they were developing their own idea of what God uh, would be like. And in some cases, of course, they were right. But in other cases, they weren't. We have to rely on Scripture as our true north, and, that, and that's what uh, we do if we follow Paul. I find out one other little insight that I have is, you know, some people have asked me in these interviews, what would Paul say to the churches today? He complains about what was going on. And they expect me to say, well, they were experiencing, the, the churches today are experiencing the same kinds of division and, and uh, opposition and, and reasons for disharmony as the early church. So what my best answer is, what Paul would say to the churches today is exactly 
what he would say, what he said to them. The letters he wrote to these individual churches, he probably knew were inspired by God because he talks about that, but he probably didn't know they would become part of our scripture. And these very letters would be New Testament books that our churches do rely on. So it's not a question of what would Paul say, it's he has said it, and we have these books, and we read them. And those are Paul's advice, practical advice for Christian living and his exposition uh, of Christian doctrine. We're talking to David Limbaugh. His new book is Jesus is Risen. There's so much more than we can cover here in this interview. Now, it is true that some of them might not have known that uh, how the Bible, the New Testament, would ultimately turn out. But it is true that they did think that they were writing for God. In fact, uh, as you know, Peter uh, says that Paul's writings are Scripture, and uh, Paul uh, quotes Luke as being Scripture. There's some other instances of this as well. So they probably didn't know how it would all ultimately turn out, but they knew that many of their writings were inspired. And, and David does a wonderful job of going through these inspired writings and putting them at the lay level. That's why you need to get Jesus is Risen, Paul in the Early Church by my friend David Limbaugh. we got one more segment. Don't go away. You don't want to miss the rest of this. I'm Frank Turek. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find more. Just type cross-examine or Frank Turek on the search bar. Also, visit our website where we add new videos, articles, and free resources daily. Jesus is risen, the central fact in Christianity. If Jesus is risen, Christianity is true. If Jesus has not been risen, then Christianity is false. Everything hinges on that question. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Of course he did. We've talked about that on the show many times. And my friend David Limbaugh has written a new book, Jesus is Risen. Paul in the early church covers Acts through Romans. And uh, I want to get David's insights on a couple of books that we haven't had an opportunity to really talk about. One is Galatians, and then hopefully a little bit on Romans. And he's got several chapters on each in here, so this will be from 10,000 feet. Uh, David, what is the overall theme of Galatians? Well, I think there, well, well, the scholars talk about it, free, freedom in Christ. But one, one thing, there are two things. Before freedom in Christ, and it's interrelated, Paul talks about, uh, Paul is distressed, as I mentioned, that these churches, and specifically Galatia, uh, they're following false teachers who, who are called, you could call them Judaizers. They're people who say, they're Jewish converts, but they're trying to lead the people away and say, it's not faith alone in Jesus Christ. You have to still practice uh, Jewish dietary laws and the other laws of Moses. You have to be circumcised to be saved. And that's an affront to the gospel. That's an affront to the finished work of Christ. If people want to follow those laws voluntarily, that's okay. But to force them to follow those laws as if to suggest that we can do anything, we human beings can do anything to save ourselves, is an absolute insult to the the finished work of Christ, his sacrificial work, his passion. And so Paul is saying to them, don't listen to these false teachers. They might be seeking their own glory, or they might be pandering to Jewish authority so that they get the best of both worlds. They can talk about Christ, but they also don't have to come in uh, disrepute with the, the Jews who are still there, who are not believers, and who therefore they won't experience persecution from those Jewish authorities uh, who consider this a threat to their religion. No, it's syncretism. Jew, Judaism and Christianity, it's all part of one thing, and you don't have to worry. Well, uh, he 
he violently, not violently, but he strongly reacted against that and said, don't follow them. Uh, listen to the true gospel that I taught you. Uh, and that is faith alone in Jesus Christ. Now, the other thing, the other theme, and I'm very much summarizing this and oversimplifying it, is freedom in Christ. And I've always found that to be paradoxical because before I was a Christian, I had the idea of, of Christians as being scolds and disciplinarians and not having any fun and being authoritarian and having to follow all these rules. Uh, and if, you, if you're a student of theology and of Paul's letters, you find that it's precisely the opposite. Why you are free in Christ is that you, you, Paul explains that you can't have two masters. You are either enslaved to sin and your sin nature, or you are a slave of Christ. And, and people can understand that freedom is, uh, the, is being released from the bondage of sin. And that's what Christ does. Faith in Christ releases you, uh, redeems you from your sinful nature, and gives you a new life, a rebirth in Christ. And just think of a drug addict. He wakes up every day, or an alcoholic. He is totally dependent upon the behavior that he's engaging in. He's not a free person. I mean, he voluntarily takes that next drink or uh, that next Coke. Uh, on marijuana, but he he doesn't uh, really want to do it, or he does want to do it, but he's bound to do it. He's completely addicted. Think about that, and that's true of a lot of different addictive behaviors or bad behaviors. We're tempted to do it, and we're almost powerless uh, in, in that context, so we're a slave to sin. Christ liberates you from that, and you become a slave to Christ. And somebody might say, well, gosh, you're a slave to Christ. That's not good, but it doesn't really mean that. Slave to Christ means out of love. You want to be obedient to Christ, and you want to live to a higher standard while you're no longer bound according to a, a set of rules where you have to tick off the list that you follow the, this and that command. You are you hold yourself to a higher standard, but you do it as a natural outgrowth of your faith in Christ and your love for him and your desire to please him, and, and also the Holy Spirit indwelling you and, and empowering you to overcome sin on a daily basis. I just think that's what freedom in Christ means. Uh, and and it, and it is a liberating thought, because I know that sin is what enslaves human beings. And I think people, if they're honest with themselves, will understand that, too. But, but there is complete freedom in Christ. We're talking to David Limbaugh, his new book, Jesus is Risen, where he starts in the book of Acts, goes through Galatians, first and second, second Thessalonians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and Romans. And he provides a running commentary uh True to the text, but not an academic commentary, a commentary that will help you understand what these books in the Bible actually mean and how they apply to your life today. You know, I've, I've noticed, David, that Galatians is such an important book because even today we have kind of a hangover from the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant said uh, that if uh, Israel obeys, God will bless them. In other words, you do X, God says, I'll do Y. And we still think that way today. Uh, even though the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 8.13 says the old covenant's obsolete, it's been replaced by a new and better covenant. Uh, you don't do X to get Y today. You do X because of what God has already done for you, <laughs> because he's, he's already died for you and he's risen from the dead and by grace you're saved. So you put your trust in him and there's, you're, you're free of all those rules and regulations from the Old Testament. You, as you just mentioned, you will do a good uh, for God, you will do good works. You're prepared to do good works because of what Christ has done, not out of some sort of slavery to a to a moral code, but because you're pleasing Him and you're trying to help others come into the fold 
and be Christians and live a more robust life for him. And, and the book of Galatians is so important in laying that out. The other book, like if, if, if I could just have one book read to explain the theological uh, complexities and the theological insights of Christianity would be the book of Romans. Now, you have a couple of chapters on this book. It's so rich. What do you want to tell us about the book of Romans? I mean, you could start anywhere and end anywhere. Just pick a one insight that you want to talk about from the book of Romans. And let me, as a prelude to that, let me also affirm what you just said and another insight uh, that I gained as I studied this. You talked about the Old Covenant, how it interrelates. When you read the book of Acts and Paul's letters, you will see the interrelationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Testament is still Scripture. The Old Covenant is replaced by the New Covenant and supersedes it, but the, but Christ didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He is the end of the law, and that all comes clear. And as you watch these these speeches, as you listen to these speeches and read about them in the book of Acts, from Stephen to Peter to Paul, they always integrate the Old Testament, and they talk about Old Testament history, not as if it's dead, but as if it's totally part of God's salvation history and en- enhances our understanding. It's all part of a piece, Old Testament and New Testament. This history was valid. In fact, Paul even identifies the Abrahamic covenant, the, the, uh, God's promise to Abraham to bless all nations through him. He defines that specifically, identifies it as the gospel. He blesses all people, Jew and Gentile, through Abraham and his descendant David and his line, uh, through the offer of salvation in Jesus Christ. That's awesome. Let me go to the book of Rome. I just want to get that in Romans. Yeah. Uh, I, I find the theology, as you say, is so rich. Paul describes that everyone, Jews and Gentiles, are subject to God's judgment. We are all subject to God's judgment, and we are. But that's because we are all sinners. Nothing we can do changes that we are sinners. In fact, uh, even if you don't like the idea of original sin and you think we're being blamed for Adam's sin, you know you're a sinner too, independent of Adam. So it really doesn't matter. It's a fine tooth. It's a fine theological point. It's kind of irrelevant. We're all sinners, and we're deserving of God's punishment. But the good news is that salvation is available to everyone through faith in Christ. And the neat thing about the, the faith and the, the theology of this is that when you place your faith in Christ for the remission of your sins and for eternal life, you are declared righteous by God so that for, it's kind of like a legal declaration so, so that for salvation purposes, when God looks at you, he sees the finished work of Christ and his perfect righteousness, which is now imputed to you. So you are saved as if you are just as righteous as Jesus Christ. But That's in amazing. fact, we are yeah. not just as righteous. But the other part of that salvation experience is on your conversion, the Holy Spirit, as we've said, begins to indwell you and then empowers you to combat sin on a daily basis so that you can become more righteous in fact, more sanctified, more holy, more Christ-like. And this is the Christian's walk uh, with the power of the Holy Spirit uh, throughout his life. And not until eternity will be, will be glorified and be sin-free but for now, we, we use the Holy Spirit, His power, to help us become uh, less sinful. And then the other part about uh, what Paul says is he's a, he's a Jew, and he still has a heart for the Jews. And you see his heartfelt agony over the Jews not accepting Christ. He tries and tries, but so many of them reject the gospel because they're expecting a military and political deliverer who will conquer the Roman Empire for them, uh, and not someone who is hung on a tree or uh, crucified because that person, according to the Old Testament, is deemed to be a curse. What they didn't understand, Christ comes 
and dies a humiliating death, didn't raise a finger to defend himself. He was hung on a tree, so he can't possibly be the Messiah. What they didn't understand is that Christ did become a curse. He became a curse for us so that we wouldn't have to endure the consequences for our sin. So Paul is lamenting the, the Jews' failure to accept Christ and to come around, and he writes to them, please, you guys, come around. I still have confidence. Even though you, most of you have rejected Christ, you are still instrumental in God's uh, redemptive work. You're God's chosen people. The Messiah came through you. You safeguarded the law through all this time. You are the nation of holy priests uh, through whom the God's promise of salvation was possible. We want you back. And, and Paul talks about in these chapters of Rome, Romans that they will eventually come back before Christ's return. Not every single Jew, of course, will accept Christ, but he's talking about it in a broad sense. Many of them will, and that's very exciting for him. He still hey, David, loves we, we, we got to wrap it up here. There's so much more. You can feel the passion coming from David Limbaugh. And if you really want to get more of that passion, you just need to get the new book, Jesus is Risen, Paul and the Early Church by my friend David Limbaugh. David, before we go, tell people, in addition to getting the book, where else can they follow you? I know you're on Twitter. Where, where else can they follow you? Yeah, Twitter and Facebook. My Twitter name handle is David Limbaugh, shockingly, at David Limbaugh. Uh, and uh, I have a website, David Limbaugh, too. I'm an egomaniac. <laughs> you have a Frank. You have a frankzurich.com. No, it's org. And thanks for being on our board and helping us with this. That's my friend David Limbaugh. A great interview and a great book. You need to pick it up. Jesus is risen. Paul in the early church. Get it. There's so much more than we could that we couldn't talk about. Also, don't forget David Limbaugh on Twitter. And I'll be at the University of Maryland, October 22nd, Towson University, October 23rd, out in Colorado Springs. We work hard to create great content and deliver truth and valuable insights to all of our cross-examined podcast listeners. If you agree, take 30 seconds out of your busy schedule to leave us a five-star rating so more people like you can find us. Just look for the cross-examined official podcast, three words on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. We are truly grateful for your support. 